0: Hey everybody, Joe McCall, REI in your car, but I'm not in my car. (laughs) hope you're doing well. Man, I'm so excited and pumped for a couple reasons. I could probably, maybe I will, break this up into two podcast episodes. I just got off the phone with some friends, and I won't tell you where, but somewhere down south, and uh, we were sharing uh, war stories (laughs) of uh, real estate gone bad, like, and and so this is what I want to talk about on this podcast, and I don't know if it will resonate or relate to any of you guys, but some of you it will, some of you veterans out there with scars, (laughs) And then I'm going to do another podcast on, on some of the awesome things we talked about on this call. I was so excited. So I want to do this now, and I can't wait until I'm driving, so that's why I'm doing it now. But number one. Hey, sweetie. Hold on. My daughter just found a ladybug that was green, <laughs> and she it was actually gray with a green spot on it, and she was wondering if it was poisonous or old. <laughs> I said, I don't know. Uh, just don't touch it. Okay. So, um, what you want to know the worst way to invest in real estate. I thought I would normally I tell you like what you should do. I'm going to tell you what not to do. All right. This is the absolute worst way to buy and sell investment properties. Okay. You ready? (sighs) And I say this from my own experience and what I've heard from so many other people. Okay. Number one, it's buying properties subject to selling them on lease options. I think it's one of the worst ways to do it. If, well, okay, let me just rewind a little bit because it can work if the numbers are good, right? But a lot of us way back in early 2000s, this was the hottest thing, right? Everybody was talking about this. Everybody was doing it. I can name the gurus. You've heard of them probably that were teaching this. And uh, it was a disaster. Even if the market would would not have collapsed, these would still have been stupid deals. But here's the thing. You take over a mortgage, right? It's called buying a house subject to. You take over an existing mortgage, and then you turn around and you sell it on a lease options with the goal or the intention of having the tenant buyer buy the house in one or two years. And so you can get into these deals. You don't have to have a ton of equity on these deals, right? This is, these are from sellers that want to sell their house but can't because they don't have enough equity. So you make an offer at 85 to $0.90 cents on the dollar that you'll buy their house subject to. It just needs to cash flow a couple hundred dollars a month, and uh, you can take over their mortgage. And sometimes, the way the gurus would teach it back then, is that you can offer the seller a little bit of money. You can get them caught up, but you need money to do that, right? You need money to catch up the mortgage. You need some money to fix, house, fix the house up a little bit, clean it up. So the gurus would tell you to go borrow private money. And this is where the biggest disaster and clusters would happen. You would borrow some private money and a second note. So you'd create a small private second note with an investor and put them in second position. And you'd use that money to fix it up, catch the mortgage up, maybe give the seller a little money and a lot of times you'd borrow some profits early which is a big disaster don't ever 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 do that don't ever borrow profits early but at the time if you remember real estate never goes down right (laughs) so we would i would i did this a few times and i've paid all my private investors back but um it took me years i would borrow private money early and we would When you look at these deals we'd kind of inflate and push the values up a little bit so if it's worth maybe 150 to 160 we'd use the 160 number all right and uh we'd figure prices were going to continue going up and they were going to go up at a conservative five or six percent a year at the time right so we would use start with a higher number so if the values were like 150 to 160 we'd use 160 and then we'd add six percent on top of that and then we'd add a little bit more and so we'd sell it as a lease option for maybe 180 because that's what it's probably going to be worth in uh, a couple years, right? And so then you would, you want to make sure your private investor in second position was protected with at least 10 to 15% equity in the house, right? So sometimes people would base the, that 85% number on the higher jacked up number, right? So you borrow private money. And guess what happened? When the market crashed, value started going down. Guess what? Tenant buyers couldn't buy homes. So this house that you thought was worth one sixty that you're trying to sell for one eighty was all of a sudden worth one thirty. And then it was worth one twenty. And then it was worth one ten. Right? You remember? And then guess what happens? Well, you got vacancies. Your private investors want their money back. You were offering way too generous of terms, too high of interest. So now you've got vacancies and this property that only cash flowed a hundred or two hundred dollars a month, all of a sudden you're hemorrhaging cash because one or two months of vacancies and you've lost all the cash flow for the entire year that you'd had for that house and you'd already you didn't save any money because you'd already spent that money you spent some profits early because you borrowed that money and so now you're negative cash flow and you have negative equity on these homes and now you've you're responsible for these mortgage payments and you're paying these mortgage payments so you've heard my story i've talked about this before i did i did some of these deals about 10 of them and uh, I never missed a mortgage payment on any of these mortgages that I took over subject to. Um, and I paid all my private investors back eventually. It took me about four years. But because of these mortgage payments that I had to pay, if I didn't pay them, that seller was going to get a 30-day late on their mortgage, right? And those sellers quickly forget how nice and happy well, how nice they thought you were and how happy they were when you saved them from foreclosure three years ago, right? They forget about all that. Now they get mad because you haven't bought this house yet. They want to buy another house, but they can't because this mortgage is still in their name. And uh, they start getting calls all the time from the bank saying, hey, we haven't received your payment yet, right? So I would make the payments. None of them got 30 day lates, but I would be making them on day 29, day 30. Like, at the last minute, I'd be robbing Peter to pay Paul to pay these mortgage payments so they wouldn't get a 30-day late. And they start getting ticked, understandably, right? Like, you got to have st- if the bank stop calling me. You- are you made the payment yet? Have you made the payment yet? Are you going to make the payment? And then they start freaking out, and they start looking at the mortgage, or they start looking at—they uh, they hear stories in the news, or they— they uh, talk to an attorney and the attorney says, they can't do that. That's mortgage fraud. You can't take over a mortgage. If your bank found out, they would call the loan due and they would trigger the due on sale clause. Well, that never happened to me and that rarely ever happens. But guess what? If I would have been late on those mortgages or if we started raising a lot of red flags, those mortgage companies could have called those loans due. Now they, They probably wouldn't, but like they could. So what if I was late and uh you know missed a, had a 30 day late on one of these mortgages and the banks looked into it and you know and then they started asking well what's going on who where are these payments coming from are they coming from this investor and they start looking in the county and they see that the deed is transferred to somebody else and what if they call the loan due would you be any would you be in any position to take it over so oh what a disaster it freaks i get stressed just even talking about this right so these friends that i was talking to they did almost 50 of these back then, the heyday, right? And they're still digging themselves out of the hole. But what was interesting was some of the deals they did were sandwich lease options. So they didn't take over the mortgage. They just sandwiched lease options, which means they found this motivated seller and they got a lease option with the seller where they were the tenant buyers. And then they turned around and subleased it out to another tenant buyer and they stayed in the middle. So it was a sandwich lease option. And so guess what? When the crap hit the fan and the market started going south, guess which deals were easier to get out of? The deals that they took over subject to, where they took a deed to the property and they borrowed private money, or the sandwich lease options, where they all they had was a lease option agreement with the seller and they turned around and subleased it out to another tenant buyer. Which deals were easier to get out of? <laughs> you guessed it. It was the sandwich lease options. That's the beautiful thing about lease options, why I love them so much, and why I hate subject twos. Because with a subject two, you're more obligated. The deed is in your name. You're responsible to make this seller's mortgage payment. So what happens if the deal goes bad? Okay, you better pay that mortgage payment, right? Oh man, I can tell you stories like the sellers would be calling me, when are you going to buy this house? And I'd say, I, I, I can't, the tenant buyer hasn't bought it yet. So the seller would go to the tenant buyer knock on the door and say, hey, when are you going to buy the house? The tenant buyer would say, who are you? The seller would say, I'm the owner of this house. The tenant buyer would say, I thought Joe was the owner of this house. Who are you? And they say no, Joe doesn't own the house. I own the house. When are you going to get a mortgage? Tenant buyer would freak out. It's none of your business. Blah blah blah. I'd get these angry phone calls. Who is this seller? And I say, well, don't you remember I told you that I don't own this house? Technically, I mean, yeah, I I'm on the deed, but I don't own the house. So the mortgage is still in someone else's name. They would freak out. They don't remember me tell, telling me uh, me telling them that. They don't remember signing the disclosures that I gave to them right I mean I did it all above board I used title companies I used attorneys to close my subject to deals but oh what a disaster so then the seller calls the attorney the tenant buyer calls the attorney they start freaking out the tenant buyer says I were this is fraud I want my option deposit money back the seller saying I want my money back and then the, the seller saying I want you to close sell this house so I can move on and buy another house And then my private investors are like, hey, we want our money back out of this deal. You said that if we requested it, you'd give us 60 days and we can get your money back. So maybe, I don't know, if I'm talking over some of your heads, uh, I apologize. But those of you that got caught up in that crap from the early 2000s to maybe 2007, from these gurus that taught you how to buy houses subject to, how to turn around, sell them on lease options, or even create a wraparound mortgage, right? Oh, and then borrow some private money to pay the seller a little money to fix some repairs, to borrow some of your profits early. I call BS on that. Now, there may be a point, place where, you know, if the numbers work, if there's enough equity, if there's enough cash flow, and you're not borrowing any private money, you can do a subject to, you know, and turn around and sell it on a wrap, or on a lease option there may be a place for that but I'm telling you guys you've got to be super careful you've got to be super conservative with your numbers you've got to set aside money for a rainy day for you got to set aside money for a few rainy months okay if you're owning a bunch of even if you're buying these properties with bank loans okay even if you're doing it above board you've got to have money in reserves on every single property you have especially if you're obligating yourself to pay a seller's mortgage that's why i love lease options i'm not obligating myself to pay the seller's mortgage okay now when i'm in a sandwich lease option i will pay the the seller a rent the rent every month right so i'm not but i'm not saying that you know if i have a sandwich lease option it's okay or to to back out of the deal but this is what this is what i did over a couple years to get out of these bad deals i tried my hardest but I called the sellers up and I said, listen, I can't make another mortgage payment. This is the last mortgage payment I can make. So I have to deed the property back to you. And here is the tenant, the tenant is in the home. So I'm just gonna tell them to start sending you the rent. And so that's how I got out of those deals. And the private investors, I had to call them and tell them, listen, I'll pay you, but I just need some time. And so we would structure different payment agreements and things like that. Hold on one second. Okay, so anyway. Is that depressing? <laughs> the next thing I'm going to do another podcast here real quick, if I have time. And uh, I do. So I'll do another podcast here and I'm going to talk about some exciting things that we talked about while we were on the phone that I think is going to be um, cool for you to to learn and implement. So bottom line, in summary, avoid subject twos. I don't like them. Maybe they work. You know, maybe some of you guys, if you do know of a good way to do them or, you know, like subject twos might be a good idea for a short-term rehab project right like if, if you can take over a subject two for six months while you rehab it that might be a good idea that might work right but You gotta be so careful don't you gotta be so careful with your private lenders don't be stupid and borrow money based on um, inflated values and hopes or expectations of what the market will do in the future don't ever ever do that okay and also when you sell these properties that you have on lease options or whatever don't be ridiculous with the price I always set my lease options at today's market value. Okay. And if, if it's, if it's not a good deal where you can't find a tenant buyer who's willing to pay today's market value for the house in one or two years, then it's not a good deal that you should be in. You should pass on it. All right. got to go. See you guys. Bye-bye.